0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not
1: be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission.
2: Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the Post Le Mans Inside Track here on the Haggerty Community. I'm John Heindorf. What a race. Those who thought that this year's Grand Prix John Durant's the 89th running of the Le Mans 24 hours was a foregone conclusion wouldn't have any interest wouldn't have any action or drama I say to you path that's what I say to you we've got three guests tonight all who put in an awesome performance at the weekend two class winners including the overall and an Ironman stint in the overnight in GTE Pro so You can get involved, ask questions either on the stream or you can use the hashtag HaggertyRLM. We've kept that going from the weekend. Let me tell you who we'll be talking to in the next hour. We have... The overall winner of the race, Mike Conway from Toyota Gazoo Racing, finally crushes the curse of Le Mans and gets the victory that he so richly deserved over the last few years. We have a winner from LMP2 and the WRT Orica, and that's Ferdinand Habsburg. And not quite a winner, but my goodness, what a scrap in GTE Pro! The debut of the Corvette C8. The mid-engined car, Nicky Katzberg, is with us. Gentlemen, first of all, thank you very much for being with us. Congratulations on brilliant drives, all of you. And welcome to Haggerty Inside Track. Welcome all. Thank
3: you.
1: Uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you. Um, We we can only start with you here because I know you've got a dash uh, in uh, a little while. But also... Winner of the race. My goodness. Um, coming second a few times, does it make the f- getting the victory? Does it make it even slightly sweeter now that you can say Mike Conway? I can introduce you as Mike Conway, Le Mans winner. <laughs> Thanks. No, I mean, yeah,
3: it wasn't until the final kind of few minutes when it uh, started balling up, really. And, uh, yeah, a lot of emotions, you know, built up over the last few years. So it was really nice to get it done. And, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't an easy one. It wasn't plain sailing. We had, you know, quite a big issue that we're managing the last six, seven hours. So um, it was touch and go. So I was hiding in the driver's room for the last hour. I took, like, the longest shower just to try and kill 20 minutes. And then uh, I was pretending to play on the phone for a while and then, all of a sudden it was like 20 minutes to go and I was like, okay, let's get changed now and head back down to the garage. So, um, But yeah, it feels amazing to get it done. That's really cool. You know, been so many close ones, but I guess that's Le Mans for, you know, you can always say, should have won it or this happened, that happened. and But, you know, to finally get it done now, it's, yeah, it feels like a weight lifted off my shoulders, to be honest. So uh, yeah, good feeling. And obviously with the new hypercar, it's pretty cool to get that done too.
1: Uh, right, who's got who's got the notifications on? Turn it down. Uh, they, come on, we've been, we've been doing these zoom maintenance for ages now, lads, how come on. Uh Mike, talk let's let's talk a little bit about managing that issue. It it raised its head about two o'clock in the morning on on the sister car when Seb was at it and the stints were getting shorter. Um yeah. we didn't know what it was. Um you guys kinda of thought you knew what it was and worked the team worked with Seb, to to find a work around, it involved pushing various buttons at various points of the track. We we saw you pushing the the D def button, and none of us know what D def means. Is it drive defeats or something nothing, like that. Nothing to
3: do with hearing. Nothing to do with hearing. But no. What so, so what does that mean then? What's the D def? Driver. It's a driver default. Right. So we have certain things we can turn on and off in the car. You yeah? know. So uh, yeah, we were basically it was a fuel issue. So we were trying to turn the pump on and off every braking zone. So with, um, you know, with the G's trying to turn it on and off to kind of flush the system a little bit. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what it was really. And yeah, we, we didn't really know until the shorts were getting shorter. Sorry, the stints were getting shorter and we noticed some fuel pressure dropping. So I didn't really know until I got out um, in the morning with kind of six hours to go. And I noticed something on the last lap mm. and the stint before it was two laps short and they didn't tell me why and uh it wasn't until I got out and then they kind of told me I guess they just didn't want me to panic so uh yeah but then the the, you know the engineers came up with a a plan and a strategy and as you said you know Seb had been trying a few things and yeah they come up with a solution so um you know credit to Seb he was maybe the the test dummy to figure it all out And we came up with the strategy and, yeah, big credit to the team, really. Because it could have been, um, too, you know, touch and go, that we had to come in and maybe change something on the fuel cell and and we'd have lost a lot of time and lost the race. So, amazing, amazing job by the team. All credit to them.
1: Pascal Vassalon said to us, your uh, technical director, team chief, uh, etc., General factotum." he said to us before the race... In a special convergence program that we did on Haggerty Radio Lemon that the calculation was quite simple if you spent if either of the uh, g r o tens spent twenty minutes in the pits with unscheduled work going on, so not your normal stops but twenty minutes on top of that you that you didn 't think you could win the race so what, was that issue not going to be solved by coming in and stopping? for less than 20 minutes because I think at Monza you had something similar and changed the fuel pickup and that took nearly an hour, didn't it?
3: Yeah, they reckon it would take 35, 40 minutes. So yeah, it wouldn't have been possible to stay in front with that. So yeah, that's why it was really important to try and come up with a solution. So, you know, the engineers came up with a plan of action and they thought it would cost us so many seconds per lap even to do what we're doing, but we ended up doing it with no time loss.
1: I was we were all carefully watching the lap times and it went out a little bit at the start for Seb, but then you all gradually, even when your car had the, a similar issue later, that it came back down and you were back down to 31s and 30s and absolutely nailing it. How stressful was it for the guys in the car and yourself to know you had to press these three buttons in every every braking zone to keep the car... Because cool? I, I presume what you wanted to stop was... The fuel pump sucking in air and poti- and potentially stalling out the motor, the engine.
3: Yeah, well, you know, you saw that happen to Seb. He pulled over on the side of the road because uh, if you don't turn the switches off on and off quick enough, um, it can obviously cut the fuel. So um, you were trying to leave it as long as possible to give it more time to clear itself. But if you left it too long, I mean, I had, I think all of us probably had one or two moments where we came out the corner and had a big ball and we're like, oh shit, you know, quickly switch it back on. Um, So, yeah, sorry. I said uh, apologies for the language there. But, um, yeah, um, it was, yeah, it was was a bit tense for sure. The first few times you were doing it and then it just kind of come naturally, I guess.
1: And by the way, this is all still while driving a racing car at 3 minutes thirty, three minutes 31, around eight and a half miles of Le Mans, and it started in the dark. So, I mean, you guys have got a lot to do with the steering wheel anyway. You're changing things with hybrid, the way you harvest and deploy and stuff like that. Did some of that have to go out of the window because you just didn't have enough fingers and thumbs left in the braking zones?
3: Um, no, I was it happened having to manage a little bit more as well um with that we had some recovery stuff that they wanted to do as well so um yeah it was a bit more than just that in the end so uh but i don't know we're kind of used to it. i guess we we got a lot of tools to play with in the car so you try and yeah maximize your time in the car and leave some time to to do the change you need to do but yeah it definitely made it more tense and a little more interesting behind the wheel
1: uh, Scott Woodwiss has uh, fired this in for you, you, Mike. He says, right, now that you've finally reached the promised land of becoming an Amon winner, what do you know now about what it takes that you wish you'd known the first time that you went to the Circuit de la Sarte?
3: Uh That's a hard one. Um, Just I be patient. I think every year you've probably learned something. But I remember the first time doing it, it was like, I was like, man, am I even going to be able to drive for... For that long, mm. you know, I've never even driven for anything over like an hour and a half before. So you just a lot of unknowns, really. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I still find it hard not being able to sleep. I uh, maybe you get I don't know an hour, mm. and yeah. you you feel really dreadful. You know, like when you're not in the car, <laughs> when it comes to the early hours of the morning, mm. you just uh, yeah, you don't know if you're hungry, you're tired, or everything. Uh, but I think I managed that side pretty good this year. And um, but yeah, I wish I could just sleep a bit more. I think I'd feel better, uh, especially you know even now. You know, uh, I didn't sleep good even the last two days. It's hard to get back in the rhythm, you know. Yeah,
1: I know, I know exactly. <laughs> I don't have to get thrown around in the car and do what you guys do. And I think I got about forty-five minutes in one off break and about maybe 30 in another and it's today yeah. that it always hits me it's never the Monday I kind of get through the Monday because you're still doing things and you you sort out the aftermath today I am starting I've done nothing all I had to do was stand and get excited about the the pictures Ferdinand how did you deal with the, the lack of sleep then at uh, at, at Le Mans 24 hours at your first Le Mans 24 hours this year
0: well, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm like a world champion sleeper. so <laughs> I, if I get out of the car, I spend maybe 20 minutes talking to the engineers. and as soon as I get to my bungalow, I am gone. Like I can I slept twice a full hour and a half. Wow, uh, in the night. luxury. so. i got three hours of proper sleep in. Um, and I, I, I did a lot of like um, sleep training, I would call. And uh, I, 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 I met this crazy doctor in Austria who said, like, uh, the way to train sleep is in the middle of the day. Like, everybody can sleep at night, but it's hard to sleep during the day. So
1: Interesting.
0: Um, especially when I went to, I started this when I was going to Macau, um, because you'd always arrive quite close to the race. And so I would adapt to, to Macau time back home in Austria before I arrived. So I wouldn't have jet lag. So this was my first sort of experience with like playing with sleep. And I just became so good at like switching off and on. Like I'm like, my, my, uh, my friends hate it. And if ever I have a girlfriend, she hates it because like I can just like pass out on anything at any time. So I'm totally fine, actually. I, I, I know what Mike means, like uh, you feel weird in, when you've only slept like a few bits in here and there. But as soon as you're in the car, man, it's just like pure excitement, Andrella takes over.
1: Nikki yeah.
3: Kazuki. He's like the master sleeper as well. He, would really? just be like in the middle of the room and he does. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. he's he like at that as well. You sound like you two
0: would. Uh, you'd be fine together. Well, my teammate's Robin Friends and he is the also another world champion sleeper. So, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we did quite well sharing a bungalow.
1: Uh, nice nicky you were driving most of the night it seemed every time i was on you were in there did you i mean i know you can only drive four hours in in any six was it always the plan that you were going to do that amount of time in the car um you were very quick uh and i think you did the most of, of anybody in in your corvette
2: uh, i'm not sure i think i think antonio got uh, the most laps in there um but no, I, I don't think it was planned to do triples. And when they told me, "Can you do another hour?" I said yes, but my mind was like, "No, I cannot." <laughs> but you kind of have to say yes, so I I, I did another hour. And um, yeah, I would love Ferdinand to teach me how to do that sleeping trick because I'm struggling so much, and and I, I I really find it hard to switch off after a stint. It it my eyes are still big for the next one and a half hours, and you try to get some food and speak to some people. And then by the time I'm finally ready to go to bed, you kind of have to wake up again. So
1: I'm not, I'm not the best sleeper for that, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, I always think if sometimes I sleep on the floors of commentary boxes and the stuff that's just going on around you kind of lulls you. And sometimes it's just the right sort of thing. I hate it when the safety car comes out because that wakes me up because the lack of noise is what wakes you up. It's bizarre. We're all wired wrong, aren't we? We are really. Mike, this is just come in for you from uh, Matt Hawkins. Um, new LMH and LMDH manufacturers joining the WEC and IMSA. Are you and Toyota looking forward to the challenge ahead? Cadillac confirmed what I think we knew, but they've confirmed today that their partnership with Delara will continue and they're going to have uh, teams in the WEC as, as well as in IMSA with Action Express and Chip Ganassi Racing uh, staying with them. Y- you ready for this? You uh, You know, it's a brand new a brand new car and a brand new formula. um, It's not going to get any easier, is it, Mike? Let's put it that way.
3: I know, yeah. It's definitely going to get harder from here on out. Um, But it's good, you know. We've been waiting long for uh, competition. You know, we've got Peugeot coming next year and you've got all these other teams now that are committed and they're joining. We're able to join each other now um, across the series. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's going to make the championship really strong. And to have all the manufacturers back, you know, the big names, Ferrari, especially, um, you know, Porsche, Audi. You know, I think it's what we've been waiting for, right, for a long time. Yeah, I never, um, I never thought I'd say it. You know, be fans and drivers, this is what we want. So, yeah, it's going to be a big showdown come 2023.
1: You know, because you've been involved, Mike, with the development of the GRO10, just what it takes for even a big manufacturer like Toyota and an entity like Gazoo Racing and the facilities they have in Cologne to get this car to the track and race it at the 24 Hours of Le Mans, how impressed were you with what Glickenhaus did this year? Both cars to the flag, all right. The second one, a little bit off off the pace, but they they were sniffing around there. And if if you know if your car had sucked in a bit more air, they would have been right there, wouldn't they? Yeah.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I came to this Le Mans really not la- knowing what was going to happen. You know, we were a little bit unsure. We had some issues through the shorter races and um I just didn't know what to expect really. So um and yeah, Glickenhaus they did really well. You know, they they you know, managed to get a car all the way to the end with no no issues. And um Alpine as well, we knew they'd be pretty flawless. Mm-hmm. So um and it could have been you know if we'd had problems and the other guys had problems it could have been an lmp2 yeah um winner as well so it was really really kind of hard to know what was going to happen so but all we knew we had to do our best job as always but um yeah it definitely wasn't clear cut this year uh,
1: i know you've got to get away i've got a, a couple of other questions for you and then we'll jump back to the, the That's guys we right. have extra
3: time so really I can hang around for another ten minutes. As okay,
1: well. great. Okay, fantastic. In which case, I'm going to I'll, I'll jump to to Ferdinand. Uh, and Nick has asked this question on Twitter using the hashtag #HaggertyRLM, um, uh, and he says, uh, Nicky, "Sorry,
0: he's tweeting during the podcast." Sorry, That's Nicky.
1: Uh, yes absolutely actually sorry no this this is this is for you Ferdinand yes from someone else called Nick but not that one um congrats oh, yeah.
0: about sleep,
1: congrats not about sleep everybody wants to know where the, your sleep doctor's coming from Ferdy I'll tell you that now congrats on the win how difficult was it to deal with the atmosphere uh, in the team uh, in the two garages after this for those that don't, don't know it had been a Pretty much a race-long battle between the two WRTs at Le Mans for the first time. Von Son team absolutely knocking it out of the park. And Ferdy's team car spluttered to a halt with a... I think it was a fuel relay issue, literally with two minutes to go. They'd start at the last lap and, of course, Le Mans not cross the line, so they didn't even get classified. So, at one end you've got massive deflation from being up at the top. The other end, there's your car going across the line and, and winning by seven-tenths of a second. What was the atmosphere in the garage like after, after that? Were you worried about celebrating, Ferdinand?
0: I didn't really have time to worry, if I'm honest. I was screaming too much. Um, but uh, it was crazy. I mean, we we were, the, the 31 car, we were leading for like 16 and a half hours. Yeah. And, We were leading by a minute um which we were just pushing every single lap so for us we were like getting to the towards the end of the race we're like wow we have really got a good shot at this we're making no mistakes we're fast we're pulling the gap out and suddenly we get these the the air jack problem Mm. where we can't lift the car up anymore and change the tires and immediately by the time we'd figured that out we'd lost a minute in the pit lane yeah and the entire lead and the ability to change the tires six tenths from the end of the race wow and so to us it was like okay we had the next three hours to like sort of deal with the fact that we were leading for the majority of the race being the faster car and then you know being taken away a couple hours from the end we had like three hours to sort of accept and appreciate that like okay like we're going to be second maybe third you know like we'll be on the podium we were just dealing with that and we were being content with it because it maybe we'd be a one-two at least and then suddenly the other team two minutes from the end aren't dealing with the same issue that the the, the lead is going to be taken away but they had a far smaller time to deal with it and we were just all like in total awe couldn't believe what was going on, and uh, it's a classic example of the racing over till the fat lady sings.
1: Yes, isn't that the truth? Zach said, How wild was that LMP2 win on a scale of 1 to, to 10? 11? Twelve. It was it was bizarre. So, so you guys didn't change the tires, the rear tires, until they came up with that because you weren't allowed to use a manual jack. The ACA won't like that. It's got it. It says in the regs, got to be pneumatic. So you used an inflatable bag. But what did five yeah. five stints, six stints on a set of rear tires?
0: No, so, no, we did. When the air jack failed, it first only failed at the rear, so the front went up. So we changed the front tires on my. But my quadruple set of rears stayed on, and so Robin went out on my quadruple stint rear tires no and new fronts, where. and it was like a shopping trolley. This car, I mean, catastrophic. And when you're on, your are coming in, and you know you're like it's your last lap. You just freaking use everything. I mean, you're drifting. You don't care. You're like blocking up. You're giving it everything. Like they will know. Mike, Mike and Nikki will know if you know these tires are going off. You're just taking the rest out of it. And uh, that's what Robin left the pit lane with and new fronts. And then in the next stop, we had to change the rears, like had to. So we used the pump system, uh, which lost us the lead. Yeah. So, but it was going to lose us anyway, if we weren't going to change it. So we changed the rears. So he did five stints on the fronts and four stints on the rears or no, six stints on the front and five stints on the rears. So oh. yeah, very, very, uh, uncomfortable situation, but we knew if we change again, it's we're going to become third 100%, so it's worth the risk. And, uh, you know, you've got to give Robin a good challenge sometimes, you know.
1: He did a great job, particularly on that that last lag. Uh, Mike, unwittingly, almost the two Toyota Gazoo Racing GRO 10s almost played a part in that LMP2 battle. I thought your team reacted really well because they obviously realised what was going on behind and the formation finish... I presume they got on the radio, the guys, and said, guys, you've got the P2 leaders coming up behind you. You're going to have to get your foot down a bit.
3: Yeah, yeah, they could see what was happening. And, um, yeah, we knew that they had to keep good pace, you know, mm. and obviously not screw up uh, the race that was going on behind. But, yeah, I watched it to the end, and uh, obviously I know Tom Blomquist well, and uh, I was rooting for him as well, and he was obviously catching you guys. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be so close down to the line. But then you got the guy that comes out on the track with the flag. He's got no clue that they're still racing to the line. And I was like, this guy is like risking everything, standing out there. And you saw uh, Robert like swing right to get around the GT. And I was like, oh, man, that was so close. That guy doesn't realize what's going on here. Looked like a so, bullfighter. Yeah. Almost looked like know, a bullfighter right? with a cape, right? Yeah. Waving the red flag at Robin. So, yeah, it was crazy. Um but, yeah, I, I don't know. They need to think about that a bit more, I think, going mm-hmm. forward because, yeah, people are actually racing to the end. You know, you can't just think about, you know, the other the two cars that are, that are crossing the line first. It's still all happening behind.
1: Mike, shout up when you need to be aware, okay, because we know you've got other stuff to do. You're a Le Mans winner now, so I can say that again. That's right. Now I'm
3: enjoying chatting to here. All right, cool. Here, so Very cool.
2: Uh,
1: Nikki, your race with the with the with the car that eventually won the class, the Ferrari, I I was enthralled by that. And I I remember saying in commentary that I know it wasn't door handle to door handle, mirror to mirror um, all the time. But you guys were trading fractions of a tenth for what seemed to me to be hour upon hour upon hour. And when you're in a race like that, when you're not side by side, is it more difficult or is it easier to keep your pace up? Or do you prefer to have somebody to aim at in front of you?
2: No, I think I would prefer to have somebody to aim at and to to get close enough so you can try and make some moves. But th- this was pretty cool as well. And we really had to try everything to, to get closer to them because they constantly had this 40 seconds, 50 seconds, sometimes a bit less gap to us. So we had to throw everything at it to, to try and to get close. So... We were tripling our tires at one point, which uh, which wasn't planned and which was very difficult, just trying to eliminate some extra seconds in the, in the pit lane. And we didn't change our brakes, just to try and, and kind of get closer and closer and closer. So we were really giving it all, but unfortunately some of the slow zones were not playing in our favor mm. and it was difficult to get close, but we for sure kept trying every lap pushing potentially a bit too hard in a 24-hour race. But we, I mean, finishing P2 is obviously very nice on the debut of this car, but all you're going for is P1. So we, we tried it with everything that we
1: got. And of course, Corvette for the moment, at least are not in the World Endurance Championship. So that is, all right, I know the car came out for a, a one-off at uh, at Spa with Ollie and Antonio earlier in the season to to get a, give the car a bit of a shakedown, etc. So, it it is tough, isn't it, when, as we say in English, all your eggs are in one basket. There is that one chance and we don't get back to Le Mans until June June next year. Are you and the team, however, as you look at it now, surely you've got to think, you know what, if you'd offered us... After test day, when you had a gearbox and an engine change on one on each of the cars, after test day, if I'd come up to you and said, "I'll give you second right now, do you want to take it?" Would you have taken it?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you want to go for the win always, and 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 um, I, I kind of, as soon as we hit the track, even though we had some issues on the test day, the car straight away felt like it had been to Lamar already three times before. Brilliant. You know, you jump in the car and the car felt straight away felt really good. It was my first time on the um, low arrow configuration, and immediately I was like, okay, this this feels really good. So we made some smaller improvements on the car and, and by the time race came, we just had a fantastic race car. So I, I I guess maybe I would have settled for P2, but in the end we all want that one thing and we want to win the race. But
1: P2 is still nice. That's why you're a racer. That's why you're all racers. Ferdinand, I've got a, I've got a, a little note for, for you here from one of our um, long-time Austrian listeners and viewers, Johannes waglika He says, uh, you now join Jochen Rindt, Helmut Marko, Alex Wertz, and Ricard Leitz as the fifth Austrian to win either overall or a class at Le Mans. How, how do you feel to be in that kind of company those names i've just reeled off are, are, are like you know massive names in in racing and endurance racing
0: i don't know doesn't feel right it doesn't feel quite uh appropriate it's mad i don't know what to say like i just never expected that in my life so I, it's it's what's also funny is like I, they you never, you know, in, in, in German, we have the saying, die Hoffnung stirbt zuletzt, hope dies last. And uh, like I brought with, I don't know why, but in I brought to Le Mans when I was packing for Le Mans. I like checked my apartment for stuff, I don't know. And I found my old wallet. And in the old wallet, I found a piece of paper that when I was uh, like 15 or something in a hotel, uh, someone told me like, your dream is more likely to come true if you write it down. So I wrote down, dream, dot, dot, success, be a successful racing driver. And I put it in my wallet and carried it around my whole life. And then I changed wallets one day. And I found it as I was packing for Le Mans. And I was like, screw it, I'll take it with me. And I put it in my wallet that I have now. And I took it to Le Mans. I haven't had it for years in my pocket. And then, boom, fucking sister car dies on the last lap and we win. It was like, oh, man, this is crazy.
1: can't believe it. Uh, David Brabham would, yeah. would, would always say... Uh- think about what you want ask if you're negative negative things will happen you've got to have that positivity and I mean Mike you're you're the perfect example of that you know with all of those second places and with the way that Le Mans had had cruelly taken victories away from you and your teammates do you get to a point where you think it might it might never happen now it might never happen
3: yeah it crosses your mind but then um like you said you know positive vibes i'm I'm kind of all about that so yeah i don't want to think negative especially on a race weekend but yeah you come away from it sometimes pretty dejected so uh but you know you gotta pick yourself up and and get back going again you got no choice really otherwise uh you know you die grumpy man i think (laughs) so but to finally get it on that is for sure a weight lifted off me. If, uh, if I had to stop racing now, I'd be, I'd still be happy, you know.
1: Well, World Championship already under your belt, of course. Le Mans was the missing piece in in your illustrious CV, uh, particularly in sports car racing. After all the excitement of Le Monde, you can't relax now and neither can Toyota Gazoo Racing, Mike, because there's two further rounds at Bahrain yeah. before before the end of the season. How much time, if any, are you getting off? Obviously, you're talking to us now, but what does your schedule look like and, and how's the prep? How will you prep for, for um, Goatah Bahrain? Yeah, as you say, two more to
3: go, you know, eight hour and a six hour. And, you know, luckily we're leading the championship now, but it's not by a huge margin. Um, so, yeah, we've got to really fight for it for sure so uh Bahrain's one of my favorite ones and we've always done well there so I'm hoping we'll we'll be good but you know car eight and no slouches so they're going to keep us honest until the end that's for sure so um, you know we'll keep plugging away keep working hard and uh, so we can do but yeah we got like a two-month break now mm-hmm. until we're we're in Bahrain so I'm definitely going to take a few weeks off that's for sure And,
1: uh, but yeah, you know, get back to it, keep Uh, working hard. And what does, what does time off look like then for Mike Conway uh, as a, in the middle, because it is the middle of your season. It's not as if, you know, everything's shut down for three months or whatever, because that just doesn't happen anymore in, in international motor racing. So, so what can you do to give yourself a little bit of a break? Uh, well, I mean, I've got a few bits
3: to kind of tie up this week and I'll probably have to go to the factory um, and we've got debriefs and everything after the race. And so this week's busy enough, but really the next couple of weeks after, I'm going to try to take a little holiday and, um, yeah, rest up, recoup, get back into training and, um, yeah, kind of get back at it ready. But yeah, definitely going to take a couple of weeks off and, and enjoy myself.
1: Um, Nikki, what was it like having fans back at Le Mans? Not a full crowd, but. Some fans, um, it was still seemed to me to be very dark out in the various parts of the circuit where normally we get a bit of light from the, the campsites. But at least a few, a few thousand there this year in the grandstands, particularly in front, of, in front of the pit lane. Did that change the atmosphere a bit? Yeah, it did. It's
2: definitely better than nothing. And, and we had obviously now, what is it, two seasons, one and a half seasons with many events not having any guests or any, any fans, like Nürburgring 24 Hours has changed completely. Le Mans has changed a little bit without, uh, without these guests there. So it was good to have some fans attending. And um, I had some some uh, some friends and family there, which was nice as well to introduce them to Le Mans. So it's definitely very good that these things are, are picking up again.
1: Uh, and a, a question from... Uh... Christopher Mathius says uh, to you, Nicky, is there any comparisons that you can make in driving the Corvette to the BMW that you raced at Le Mans a couple of years ago now? Uh, Yeah, there's definitely comparisons and and,
2: and big differences between the cars. I would say just from uh, uh, um, the way the cars felt, BMW was always very strong, in uh, like aerodynamically last sector, the car was a bit easier to drive than the Corvette, but then it feels like the Corvette is, is better everywhere else uh, uh, than, than what we had with the M8. Obviously the M8, we had some reliability issues and um, now with the Corvette, we managed to, to immediately get a podium. So it, it felt really good to be honest.
1: Uh, Ferdinand, we, uh, we know that you have Jamie Campbell, Walter champion, uh, driver in his time as as a mentor and looking after you one of his old teammates part of our squad as well for various things we do peter snowden has asked um what's it like having him as as your men- mentor jcw well i,
0: I mean in, uh my sort of manager slash mentor like you said since i'm like uh 17 18 or something and he's a he is my mother's first cousin and he's the only relative i have that relates to motorsport at all um and uh he's obviously a, a successful one and um yeah he just kind of took me under his wing uh when he was stopping to race and uh let's just say it was always a dream of ours to to go to le mans and um yeah i don't know uh he, he was like always giving me advice trying to get me into sports cars and I was getting more and more into it. And now uh we've been working so hard for so long. And let's say in this part of my career, it's the the, the relationship changes, you know, it's it's more uh, uh sharing and and um bouncing off ideas, whereas it used to be very much a teacher, you know, somebody I needed to give me advice on basics like breaking and your mindset and focus and not getting too stuck up on things. And uh, now it's like, you know, sharing the moments, you know, f- fine tuning stuff. And uh, when when we crossed the line as the winner by seven tenths, uh, I turned to him to give him a big bear hug and this guy was bawling his eyes out crying. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, we, we were doing this, you know, like we never would have thought that we never would have thought that uh, at that time I was racing for Motor crashing, finishing rubbish, no good, you know, still trying to understand out to bloody brake, you know, and, and, and control the car. Didn't really know anything about motorsport. Yeah.
1: You know, he's going to deny that he cried. He, 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 he's absolutely. But I have photographic evidence. Excellent, so he just threw up. Ex- <laughs> excellent, exactly, exactly what we want to hear. Um, Ferdinand's first attempt at the big race, guys, and he and he comes away with a class win. You both can tell him it's it's not necessarily always going to be like that, Nicky, Is it? No, it's
2: not. I mean, it's 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 funny because I I I don't know Ferdinand personally, but I I. Um... Ten years ago, I was racing actually with Jamie Campbell-Walter. So, ever since I knew that Jamie Campbell-Walter was uh, going to kind of coach or be the manager of, of Ferdinand, I, I've always followed his career. So it, it, it was really nice to to see him win, and obviously fellow Dutchman Robin Freins mm. to see him win as well was was nice. But yeah, I'd also
1: love to win at Le Mans. So let's let's hope uh, that happens next year. There's time. There's plenty of time. And Mike, you still OK? Or do you need to go? I might need to shoot off. All shortly. right, but, Qu- um, quick one for you then. Um, yeah. You are now getting to be, and, and please take this the right way, That one of the elder statesmen of sports car racing. You've got experience, you've won championships, you've won the big race now as well. We are seeing drivers, young drivers, like Ferdinand and some even younger, making the decision to come to top flight sports car racing much earlier in their careers nowadays. Why do you think that is? Well,
3: I mean, it's, um, you know, I think everyone's got their own goals and aspirations, but I still think sports cars is, um, you know, a great place to learn your craft and, improve your craft as well, but, you know, you've got such good drivers there now, it's, um, you know, all the top line drivers are there, in all the classes, you know, the GTs, B 2s um, and, you know, the hypercar stuff, LMDH, and, you know, it's only going to get stronger and stronger, so I think it's really attractive to, you know, um, sort of anyone really, um, it's proper racing, you know, good races, you get, you know, Le Mans is included in the WEC, and, mm. um, it's, yeah, it's proper racing. So yeah, I I'd recommend it to anyone. But you know, don't come too early. You know, for good kids. <laughs> Take your time. Give me a a years, but, you need know, yeah. a few more years, so you know, win a few more.
1: Live a life, do a bit more racing elsewhere. Yeah. Mike, yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. we're gonna let you go. Um, thank you very much yeah. to Alison Moffat who who set this up to you for your time. Please pass on our very best wishes and, and congratulations. To, to Pascal and Rob and John and, and all the rest of the back room team. It is a huge team effort. But you, sir, well done. Well done. I am delighted to be able to say thank you for joining us, Mike Conway, Le Mans 2021 winner. Cheers, mate. Thanks, guys.
3: And yeah, what another one. All the best. Cheers,
1: F- bye. F- uh, Ferdy, I'm going to come back uh, to you and ask you about that transition from single seater racing to to endurance racing what was it then that that Jamie was telling you Jamie Jamie Campbell Walter at bullet management what was what was he telling you that either changed your mind or swayed you to say go on then I'm going to give this a try
0: well I mean in the beginning it was all the dream to go to Formula 1 you know I think like most guys uh, you you um, you aspire to to what you watch on TV, you know, in Austria, Formula One is so big uh, with Red Bull being there and uh, Toto Wolf. And it's just it's Niki Lauda. It's just it's a huge culture there. Um, and um, so I didn't wasn't connected to it at all because my family wasn't. But of course, when I started go karting just out of fun, curiosity rose, you know, and that's the thing that pops up first when you start being interested in motorsport. And, um so I was just kind of chasing the dream let's say and uh, when I was then like oh, when did I go to DTM when I, this is now two year, two years ago so I was like 20, 21 something like this um I uh, I was being managed by Jamie and we were looking at career paths because at this point'm I'm, I'm now starting to get into my 20s. And and kind of what do we want to do? And, and it seemed like, okay, if the dream is Formula 1, the next step that you have to go and do is Formula 2 from Formula 3. And, and it was like, okay, most people take two years at least mm. to, do, to, to go to Formula 2 and be successful. That's like 4 million euros you need to find. Wow. Um, and like you have that on your plate. It's like, okay, somehow I have to fund 4 million euros over the next two years to fund my dream of going to Formula 1. Or there's this door opening, which is DTM, where who are always big uh, fans of Formula Three drivers, um, and uh, I, I got to do a rookie test with Audi, and then uh, Motorsport was coming along, looking for a young driver, and the door opened to like a possibility of a professional career in sports cars, and I I, I saw the door and 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 I took it, you know, and um, you. in the end I, I then ended up doing two years in DTM, and I absolutely loved it. Um And then now going to prototypes seemed like a, 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 a move that that was the the right move. You know, like you say, all the all the teams going to hypercars is like where you want to be. You know,
1: I'll come back to that thought with DTM in a moment because I, I want to discuss with you the similarities or differences between DTM as you were racing in in, in it the older DTM cars, which were. Quite a sophisticated chassis, and whether there's a similarity with P2. Nicky, I've got a question for you um, about sports car racing generally, and you've got plenty of experience of that and and plenty of experience of winning in it. Is winning in sports cars somewhat more sophisticated than, quote-unquote, just racing? Because... You've got strategy, you've got teammates, you've got people in the pits, you've sometimes running for 24 hours along. There's an awful lot of moving pieces here, isn't there?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, let's not take anything away from the guys in in single-seaters and and doing their races on their own, because that's also definitely not easy, very difficult, always high level and, and very competitive, but... I would say it's just quite different what we do. You do have to deal with teammates, so the setup is never really 100% to your liking. You always have to find a compromise. Racing in America and IMSA, strategy is a huge deal. Fuel saving is very, very important. And this wasn't really the case, especially when I was in single-seaters. It all comes down to just pushing, 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 finding that that ultimate limit. And I would say sports car racing is, is just a bit different, but... Something I really enjoy a lot.
1: And and staying with you for a moment, Nicky, uh, this from Christopher says, we sort of know now that GTE, in its current form at Le Mans in the WAC ha- has got an end of life. We can see it now. It's just over the, the top of the next hill, coming along a bit. Does that put more pressure on you and the team and Corvette Racing? And, and might that lead to us seeing a Corvette maybe in the full, or a couple of Corvettes in the full WEC next year and possibly the year after when the, the class is going to change? Well, I definitely hope so, but I'm,
2: I'm not sure about that. Uh, and, and I'm honestly quite disappointed with the fact that GTE is, is mm, maybe disappearing. I mean, it's, it's for me, my favorite GT class. I mean, it's, you're racing against top-level drivers, and you don't have any abs and for me this is always a big topic because i feel like abs kind of brings the field together so where you where you now still can kind of differentiate from other drivers in in in, in having to break yourself i feel yeah. like this is one of the most difficult parts of racing so it's it's for me it's a real shame that gt3 has abs so I, I will definitely miss it if it disappears. And, and I, I really, really hope that there will be an all-pro class in the future, which I think kind of has been announced that there won't be. So I hope they reconsider and, 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 and maybe keep a, a full pro class.
1: In, in IMSA, at least, uh, Nicky, the, the, the GT3s there are going to a, a full pro class next year. Um, <laughs> Different type of car, and, and Corvette don't have a GT3 car at the moment. For the short term, I think the solution will be using some sophisticated IMSA balance of performance to bring the current C8R into parity with uh, with the the full GT3s from the, the other manufacturers. That's a short-term option, but it's not a long-term option, is it?
2: No, I guess it's not. Uh, it has happened in the past where BMW did it the other way around. They had a, a GT3 car being allowed in, in, in GTLM, so it can work. And uh, I think we just have to try and make the most out of it. But long term would, would obviously be Corvette coming with a GT3 car, which, which is something I hope they will. And um, yeah, I, I would love to be a part of it because racing in America, for me, is one of, one of
1: the most fun in racing in general. So I hope I can, I can stay there with them. Uh, we've got just a little over 10 minutes still to go. Keep the questions coming in for Ferdinand Habsburg and Nikki Katzberg here on Inside Track with me, John Heindorf. Uh, the uh, Haggerty community up and about this afternoon in the States, this evening here in Europe. Uh, hashtag Haggerty RLM. Ha- hashtag Haggerty RLM on Twitter uh, as well. All right, Ferdinand, i give you a fair warning about that. DTM cars... Um, very sophisticated carbon fiber monocoque. Um, I've seen these cars sort of stripped down, and they almost look like a P2 car un- underneath. There is there any similarities when you jumped out of the the GTM car and and into a to a full house P2? Yeah,
0: it, I mean, I'd say that they're closer than um, the other sort of tin top that I've driven, if you can call it that, is a GT3 car. Uh, and I'd say the DTM and the P2 are very close to each other, and then the GT3 is is very different. Um, I think, like Nikki kind of explained, is that the GT3 car is designed for a customer sport, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, prototypes have at nature always been development creatures, I guess, like and uh, and and so has DTM, you know and uh so the, the 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 nature of the beast is is similar whereas the gt3 cars is the the it's designed completely with a different fundamental so uh on that it's 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 similar but it's totally different as well like uh and dtm you don't have heated tires you have completely different suspension and damping um the engine is turbocharged so you have a whole different ball game there um with a 600 horsepower uncontrollable beast in a way no traction control uh and uh hancock tires which die immediately when you make one screw up so um there the the, our tires are a little bit more forgiving you know um so there there was a whole different challenge in dtm but the advantage was it was my beast you know i could have exactly what i wanted um when it came to the setup because it was mine you know and uh very very specific everything like every driver had a very specific different starting setup whereas in p2 you know you needed it to be in a way easy to drive you're going to do 24 hours in the thing you don't want to be freaking oversteering like a maniac you know <laughs> um and at different challenges like dtm we had drs and every all this kind of jazz in prototypes it's so many other different things so
1: it's a good point that ferdy makes there um in, in fairness nicky do you ever get a car exactly how you you as an individual wants it when you are racing as a team of two or three on endurance racing or is it always some kind of compromise i think i think last
2: weekend in in Mans i had it quite close to where i would have loved loved to have it and uh sometimes you get lucky you you get teammates that kind of have a similar style Mm. And I think we have a very, very nice group now at, at Corvette with, with Jordan and Antonio. And I think we got the car in a really nice window. But I've also seen the other side of it where you actually race with, a, with an amateur or a bronze or a silver driver. And, and then you need to really create a setup that both can drive with. You need to make the most out of the package. So that means that sometimes you are not going to get a car which is fully up to your liking. I just wanted to comment on, on what uh, Ferdinand was saying about you don't want to have this much oversteer. I cannot imagine Robin Frans going out with new fronts and quadrupled rear, rear tires. I mean, that must, be, must have been so, so difficult.
0: Amanda, we were struggling with so much rear locking that, and, I, and I had just completely annihilated the rears of my last stint. And I saw this happen. I was like, I, do, I am so happy I am not in that bloody racing car right now. <laughs> And, and they pitted him early because we had the fuel to do it. So he only did six or seven laps like that. But he came in fuming. He was just absolutely fuming because he knew we had to do at least six laps. And it was just like, get these bloody black things off of the rack of my car and give me something do. <laughs> was uh, just, it was hilarious.
1: F- fair play to uh, to to Goodyear for providing you with the the ties that would do that because nobody would plan uh, to do that. And well, well, no. well done, no. well done to them. Uh, Nicky, what's it like driving for for a brand like like Corvette? You've been with BMW. They have a huge following. Corvette, often called America's sports car. Doug Feehan would always slap me on the back of the head when I said that and say, hang off, it's the world sports car, man. It's the world sports car. It, it, they have, it's almost like, it's like an iconic status, isn't it? Driving for, for Corvette. What, what pressure does that put on you? Well, I mean, it, it's a real
2: privilege to drive for them. I was super proud because like you say, it, it has these, the yellow cars in America. It has something iconic about it. And it was so cool to, to kind of get the chance to, to drive for them. But I must say, I always, I I had a very different image of what the team would be uh, than what it actually is. So I I was kind of expecting this extremely corporate environment, but it's actually an unbelievable, cool group of guys, which make a large group of people feel like a very small one. It's like one big family. And Mm. Doug Fien, of course, he he unfortunately left his role, but we still see him every now and then. And it's it's super nice team to be part of, and I remember my first Corvette Correll, which is something I had never done before. And then uh, going on on stage there, and Doug Fian introduced me as the Catman, and um, ah, wonderful, so much support from the from the fans there. They all bring their cars, and it's it's actually a, a super cool experience so far.
1: I, I, and. Uh, now, obviously, Corvettes spreading their wings. They're a, a global concern in terms of a world car. We're even getting them in the UK uh, at the end of this year with the, 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 the steering wheel on the proper side, um, which is great. So does that mean you, you've got a company car in, in well, Europe? I've kind of been pushing uh, Oli Gavin. I
2: say, Oli, come on, you, you need to. I would love to have a company car. I mean, you don't see them that much in, in the Netherlands. So I've been pushing hard, but... Unsuccessful, unfortunately, so far. I'll keep trying.
1: I think Oli Gavin's tied all of the first European ones up for his drivers academy in Germany, hasn't he? That's why nobody else can have them. <laughs> uh, I'll have a word with him next time. Next time I, next time I, I see him. When are you next in, in, in the car, Nicky? What, what do we see you doing next? Um,
2: for, well, for Corvette, it will be will be a test to prepare for uh, Petit Le Mans and then the race in November which is, uh, I think, one of the only races which Antonio Garcia my teammate hasn't won yet. Mm. The guy won everything multiple times, but Petit Lamar, he hasn't won yet. So that's yeah. definitely the number one target for this year after Lamar. So I can't wait to go back to the States.
1: Uh, it's a great track as well. Michelin uh, uh, Raceway we Road Atlanta is just anything you drive, right? I can't. I I took an MX-5 Global Cup car around there um, a couple of three years ago, and it was awesome. In that, it's awesome if you can do even demo laps in a street car in in the Corvette through through turn one at Road Atlanta. What's that? Just off and straight back on again, or do you go down one gear? I, I seem to remember we go down one
2: gear. And the really brave guys, they they keep, they keep it in fifth, I think. I, I haven't managed so far, but um, <laughs> the, that first sector is so cool. I must say, the American racetracks are are really next-level fun, and, and I really enjoy it there. So I hope I can finally do a full season at one point. Uh, I've done some, some IMSA stuff, but I've never really done a full IMSA series, which I would love to go to, Road America, VIR, all these places that –
1: I mean, amazing track, so I would love to do them at one point as well. A couple of uh, final questions uh, for both of you. Ferdinand, I'll throw this one at you first. Uh, did you get a moment either during the race uh, or at some point afterwards to actually take it all in? I, I mean, first of all, it's a great result. Second, it's your first time there. Team with WRT doing their first Le Mans with Vincent and Pierre Doni and and all of those guys. So, did you get a chance, or was it just too full on that it's only now that you're going to go? I need to watch that on the on the video to see what actually happened.
0: So many, like it's one of the most important things for me. Like to me, it's a, it's a it's it's a horrible thing to do to go to Le Mans and not appreciate it when you're there. Like I would happily give up, you know, an hour of my free time just to do that, you know? And like in my, even though it was often late at night or we'd have PR stuff, three times in the evening after I was done, I walked out onto the track at night and just sat on it and just was like, can't freaking believe that I'm here. <laughs> you know. And I like, I was like, I need to do this for Ferdinand 10 years ago, you know? who didn't even couldn't believe it. And I, it was funny in the race. I remembered exactly all the places that I sat down. One was in Corvette corner. Uh, one was up to Dunlop. Uh, one was uh, up by the Porsche chicanes. And every time I was driving past there in the night, I remembered exactly where I sat and what I saw. And it kind of reminded me in the race when I was getting tired to be like, come on, you know, like, so Uh, It's like the most important thing for me because uh, I, I, my biggest nightmare is to be ungrateful about what I've been able to do.
1: Well, I, I can tell you from my side of things, every every year we get to Le Mans, and obviously we had to cover it remotely this year for all the reasons everybody knows. I do keep pinching myself and thinking, another year at Le Mans. Does, does it still mean something to you, Nicky? Going to Le Mans, somewhere special, you're all professional racing drivers, you're a works driver, so you're at the very top of your game, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're in prototypes, GTs, whatever, if you're a works driver, you're the best of, of the best. Does, does it still mean something a little bit special to go back to Le Mans for the 24?
2: Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, th- this was only my third time, actually. So it's not like I've done it so many times. Uh, I must be honest, though. If I, if I listen to Ferdinand, I'm like, wow, I, I, I should be more like that as well. Because, unfortunately, reality is that you get used to everything. And sometimes you have to tell yourself, like, this is not normal. I'm living my dream, like Ferdinand just says, like 15 years ago. I would have never dreamt that I would now be P2 in Le Mans, let alone uh, win win races like Daytona or Nürburgring. And sometimes you have to kind of keep telling yourself like, okay, this is my, my life now, this is my job, but it's so unbelievably cool that I get to do this. And Ferdinand is actually a nice example there because I follow him on, on Instagram and he always has so much positivity. I saw him in, in Daytona and he goes to the beach and he, I feel like he always really tries to soak up the energy of the event. And
1: it's a good example. I should be more like that as well. Uh, we, we've got a couple of minutes. Uh, and Rob Chalmers wants to know from you, Nicky, you've got a, a huge experience of different series. Um, could could you be tempted if Cadillac Racing um, GM said, tapped you on the shoulder and said, LMDH, Nicky, do you fancy it go in that? Uh, how short amount of time would it take you to say Yes. Well, I would I would definitely love to do it. My biggest concern
2: would be my neck. I'm, I'm very well known for having a very weak neck. <laughs> so <laughs> this amount of downforce probably requires a lot of training for me. So I, I would love to do it, but I'm afraid my head will fall off.
1: <laughs> Oh, very good. Very good indeed. Ferdinand, for you, were you driving, um, this is the last one for you guys, because uh, we're coming to the end of our hour. And thank you, by the way, to everybody who's sent in uh, questions. Really good stuff tonight. Um, were you out in the early morning hours when that mist came in? Uh, it's a very Le Mans thing that happens, that Oldsmoke makes it look like an impressionist painting. And, and, and if so, did it, did it cause you any issues? Oh,
0: I, 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 I missed the, the morning glory moments. I, uh, I was there, I was drove um, a bunch in the night and then in the morning. Um, so I missed that, but I did see at one point when I was driving, uh, the moon above the track going out of, uh, Tetre-Rouge, And I was like, man, like, what's this moon? Like, this is crazy. I've never seen the moon when I'm driving. And, uh, just staring at that, and the light that came out of it was insane. So uh, that I remember. Unfortunately, I, I was, uh, I was in my bungalow uh, doing my, my, my sleep naps that I'm going to teach Nikki how to, how to, <laughs> close the curtains. <laughs> I call it.
1: Yeah, you, you, you've got, you've got a future in that because every driver I know would love to be able to do that so there's a little sideline for you there maybe you can get jcw some
0: some side cash i can make yeah exactly like a training course
1: (laughs) absolutely right
0: me Uh, and kazuki joint can do it together
1: exactly exactly right Uh, nikki ferdinand thank you very much indeed first of all for being with us here second for super entertainment and great great driving at le mans uh, Lemon in any year is always a real challenge for everybody, and uh, this year was no no different. Um, everybody seems to have had to get over some uh, little issues. Uh, Mike Conway, who joined us earlier, thanks to him and to everybody who's been behind the scenes setting this up. Matt Lewis made sure that we went to the world and the responsible adults: uh, Taggarty, Radio Lemon, Eve Hewitt, as well. Guys, race well, race safely for the rest of the season uh, we're back with more live coverage throughout the year of course on all of the RSL channels via radiolamont.com or com. a little bit of a break before we go to the next Imza round but you heard Nicky talking about uh, Petty Lamont we'll have all of that for you and of course Johnny will be back with Bruce Jones to cover the final two WEC races of the year as well. That was Inside Track with me, John Hindorf, and my guests for Le Mans 2021. Thanks for being with us. Enjoy your afternoon, evening, or whatever time it is. And if you've only seen bits of this, don't worry. It'll all be up for archive in sound and vision as soon as we can get it turned around for you. Bye-bye.